Before we get started with Share Sunday, I want to share just a couple of things with our church online, obviously, and, and here in our congregation about, uh, you know, the, basically our vision, our mission, and our core commitments. I want to re-kind uh, of go over that. We launched uh, sort of eight core commitments and uh, sometime in like October of last year, and I think it's important we, we finally got them visually up on the walls so that we can uh, uh, kind of be reminded as we come into God's house what we're committing ourselves to uh, as we leave this place that those commitments don't stop, but, but actually we further continue to commit to do these things as Christians. And so uh, there's a couple cards in the seat back pocket in front of you. One of them is a mission card. The other one is a core commitments card. If you want to grab those, you can pull those out, or you can uh, um, grab some on the way out if you want to take them with you, or you can take those ones out of the seat back pocket. Uh, if, you, if you got a welcome packet, they'll, they'll be in there as well. So um, I just want you to understand, what is our mission as a church? You know, uh, for a long time, my, my, my thing was, well, I just want to be a Christian and, and teach other people how to be Christians. And, and so our mission statement was, was uh, super broad. It was to, our, our, our really our mission statement initially when we launched the church was to know Christ and to make him known. And that mission doesn't stop. That's the same mission. We're still on that mission. But as we have uh, continued on and the Lord has brought more specific kind of ideas to our hearts as far as what are we, what, who are we as a church? What is our, we're, our identity is in Christ, but what is he specifically calling us to do here in, in, in Columbia, Tennessee? And the Lord kind of led me to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, which I think is really the mission for the church. I really don't think that, th I think this is ultimately what church boils down to, and every church has kind of its own kind of um, focus, but for us, I, I really feel, and every church really should feel this way, that we are called to be equipping, uh, equipping church. We're called to equip the church for the work of the ministry. In fact, our mission statement is equipping the saints for ministry, maturity, unity, and the building up of the body of Christ. And you can find all of those things contained in those verses in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And, and as we've kind of worked through, uh, you know, who we are as a, a church in uh, Calvary Chapel in Columbia, Tennessee, we feel like we're an equipping church, that we're here to help you apply the Word of God in your life and then take it out and share it with other people. And so every church, again, is that way. But... Um, and then our, our vision is right underneath that, that statement there, and it is to grow, go, and give. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all called to mature in Christ. We're all, listen, if we're the same, if, if our understanding of Christ is the same today as it was, you know, the day we, we accepted the Lord, then, then we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing to mature? How are we, you know, could you imagine if your, your, um, your 12-year-old child was still, like, breastfeeding? That would be a little weird. I'm just saying, I don't know. I mean, people do that, but I'm just saying that that would be a little awkward. My wife was part of a little HA league at one point when she first got, uh, when we were having our first child. She wanted to understand this whole breastfeeding thing, and that, so she, she went to these classes, and there were people in there with, with kids that shouldn't be breastfeeding that were breastfeeding. So uh, it happens, but... Um, but the, the idea is that we're to grow, right? I mean, we're supposed to be growing. We should know Christ better today than we've ever known him before. And the way that we get to know Christ and mature in him is in his word. 
And uh, so we want to, we, we, we make the word of God the premise of everything that we're doing in our home fellowships, in our Bible studies, you know, here on Sunday mornings, we teach the word of God. We teach it verse by verse because it's the simplest way to go through the Bible, make sure we hit all, everything that's in it. And then at the end of that, you know, when, we, when we've finally taught all the way through the Bible, um, you know, we can as an eldership say, we have given you the entirety of the word of God. And then guess what we do? We start over. Then we go through it again. And so that's, the, that's really ultimately what we're doing. But we're all called to grow. Secondly, we're all called to go. We're, we're called to go into the world, the Great Commission. You know this. And so there's no uh, better time to go into all the world than today, guys. No better time to go than right now because there are tons of people out there that have no hope, that are scared, that need, that need some, uh, you know, they need some ministering to. They need some hope. And Jesus is that hope. So we just take uh, what we've been given out and give it back out to people. I love how Greg Laurie says it. He says, listen, I'm just a beggar trying to show another beggar how to get some bread. You know what I mean? So that's what we are. We're simply taking the word of God, the, the bread of life that we've been given, and we go and disperse it and give it to other people. And then thirdly, we're called to give. We're, we're called to give of ourselves to the Lord, you know, in various different ways in our time, our talents, our finances, all of these things for the purpose of building up the kingdom of God. We're called to invest in the kingdom of God. And so we want to make sure we're doing these things. This is the vision of our church. We want to grow, go, and give. And um, so, and, and that leads to these eight core commitments, which are ultimately uh, the way that we, we do these things. And so, if you, if you grab that card, Core Commitments, we start with number one. It says, we, we commit to making the glorification of the Lord our chief end. Listen, you and I, we exist for one purpose and one purpose alone, for the glory of God. We exist for the glory of God. It's about him. It's about elevating him. Our lives should uh, be lived out in such a way that we're saying, Lord, I want to glorify you. And then as we, we, we encounter things in life, we ask ourselves, is this glorifying? Lord, am I glorifying you? It helps us to, to know whether we're navigating down the right path or not. We want to commit ourselves to the glory of God. Uh, and, and so many churches, I'll tell you, are to the glory of man. To the glory of man. It's about a man or it's about a, a, a thing. It's about a program or something. We want to be committed to the glorification of God alone. Secondly, we commit, our, uh, we commit to finding our personal identity in Christ and not in a title, whether it be in the world or in the church. We want to understand that it was Christ who died for us. It's Christ who lives through us. Our identity is in Christ and Christ alone. It's not, uh, our identity is not in the, the, the name on the building of the church that we happen to go to or, or the denomination maybe we're part of or anything like that. Our identity is in Christ alone. It's not in what the world calls you, Mr. CEO or CFO or CEO or whatever it is. You know, our identity is in Christ alone. Thirdly, we commit to using our gifts and talents from the Lord for magnifying our King Jesus. Each of us have been given gifts from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of magnifying the presence of God in our midst. And so when you and I gather together, listen, Every one of you, if you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, the Holy Spirit can lay dormant inside of you, or it can come out of you. 
You can allow the Holy Spirit to bless other people. I love what Paul said. He said, I want to impart a, listen, spiritual gift to you, but that you would also impart a spiritual gift to me. What is he saying? What he's saying is, is that all of us have something to give each other when we come here. We're, this is not a, a, an event that we show up to. It's something that we participate in. It's something we come to. I hope you come every Sunday going, Lord, you want to use me somehow, some way. Maybe it's in a conversation before or after church or whatever the case might be. Maybe it's in the midst of, of, of this and the Lord, you know, hey, he, he moves in your heart to do, do something in a spiritual manner that would elevate him. You have gifting. You need to use that gifting. The, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. He's blessed you with something to impart to somebody else. And so you want to commit to exercising these gifts in the midst of the body. Fourthly, multiplication. We're, we're called again to make disciples. Jesus told us to go. And that, that goes for inside as well as outside the church. Right? Oftentimes we're, we're solely focused on discipleship inside the church. But ultimately, the church is you. You're the church. And so no matter where you go, you make disciples because you're the church. So we want to we be making disciples. We want to um, come alongside people who have come to Christ. We want to pour into these people and help them understand all that Jesus has done and help them grow so they can mature in Christ. Fifthly, this is super, super important. This one is possibly the most neglected, um, you know, sort of commitment in the Bible. The basic premise of the Bible is forgiveness. The basic premise of the Bible, yes, is love, but, but it encompasses uh, forgiveness. God forgave you. He forgave you of your sins. In fact, he said, I, I will give myself up so that you can be forgiven. And he forgave you. And yet, so oftentimes, Christians withhold forgiveness from other Christians. Isn't that sort of crazy? That's sort of like the parable Jesus told about the, the man who, who owed this great debt, right? And he, and he, he couldn't pay it. So the, the, the master took him and put him in Put him, or the master forgave him of that debt, remember? But then he went out, and he found somebody that owed him just a little bit. And he put that man in prison because he couldn't pay the debt. And that's often how Christians live their lives. I'm forgiven, but I'm not going to forgive anybody. That is 100% unbiblical. That is not what Jesus called us to do. And, and I'm sorry, but this is something that I think the church is doing a horrible job of, of reconciling with one another. Listen, I hope this is a newsflash. You will be offended by a Christian. You will be offended by a Christian. The question is, what will you do with that? You're going to hold on to it, and you're going to start to be, become bitter towards that person? Are you going to say, Lord, you forgave me. Let me go address the situation, particularly if it's sinful. If there's sin involved, you, you have a responsibility to go and address that sin, but but listen, at the end of the day, if you're harboring, uh, you know, unforgiveness towards somebody, it's going to produce a, a bitterness inside of you that is going to kill you. God wants to set you free from these things. That's why he says, listen, forgive people. And Peter said, well, how many times, Lord? Oh, Peter, it's not about a number, but 70 times 7, what, what is that? 490. He, he, it wasn't about the number, right? The, the idea is you forgive a person, you just continue to forgive that person. 
You go to that person, you address that person. Some of us, some of us, listen, reconciliation requires you to go before that person and have that conversation. Oh, man, I can't do that. Hey, I hate that too. I hate that so much. I, I don't feel comfortable going to somebody and say, listen, here's the deal is uh, I'm super offended by you because you sinned against me in this way. And I need to address that with you. Or maybe it's something that the Lord revealed to me that I need to go address with somebody else. I hate that. It's not fun to do, but it's necessary. Because you can't truly be reconciled with somebody unless you go to that person, you deal with the situation, and there is a true confession there that you can receive. Does God forgive everybody for everything? The answer is no. What is required for your sin to be forgiven? That, that number one, that first step in repentance, right, where you come to Christ and you say, I have sinned against you. It's an acknowledgement of your sin. And then it's, you're giving your sin over to Christ and you're saying, I believe that he paid the penalty for my sin, right? And then that forgiveness comes and it floods you and you're forgiven. And, and the Bible says as you confess your sins that he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And that, that forgiveness there is different than the first forgiveness. That, that, that is a restoring of fellowship forgiveness. I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit after we have some testimony time. But, but we need to reconcile with one another. We need to be committed to that. We cannot be in unity with one another if we are not willing to reconcile with one another. God knows we're faking it. He's not okay with that. He doesn't want us to fake through our, our Christian experience as, you know, one to another. You'll never, ever truly be, be fully part of the body and unified in the body if you're not willing to do this because you will need to do it. It will happen, I promise you. And so we want to commit to reconciling with one another. Don't just leave the church. Deal with your sin. If the Lord calls you out of the church, then go. But deal with that issue before you go because that brother or sister is worth that time to reconcile with. Number six, we're all called to mature. We've talked about that. We're called to grow spiritually in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Number seven, we're called to participate. You know what that word means in the Greek? It's the word koinonia, participation. That word also means fellowship. It's, it's that koinonia is what, what we're talking about, the close association of fellowship with one another inside and outside the walls of the church. We should have a deep, deep relational, um, you know, relation, okay, with, with each other, right? We should, be, we should be in relationship with each other, and those relationships should be deep and deep and deep, continuing to be deeper and deeper as we uh, walk in the Lord. Something, again, that I think is missing in the church today. Everybody's walking around saying, what's wrong with the church? The church isn't being the church. We, we don't hang out with each other. We don't minister to each other. We don't participate with in, in each other's lives. We don't know each other that well. And so you can't really get to know anybody on Sunday morning that well. And that's why we have home fellowships, so you can get to know each other, so you can truly do life together with one another. And, and that's the whole purpose of it, so that we can be per participatory in our lives together, so that we can be with each other and truly be, um, you know, how the Lord called us to be. Could you imagine if the disciples said, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, 
but I'll, I'll do it in, in my own way and I'll do it my own thing. I'm not going to really hang out with you, right? I'm not, I'm not going to hang out with you, but I'm going to follow you, but, but, I'm, but I'm in the body and I'm part of the body. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be with him always and supposed to know his people. It's supposed to have that closeness with his people. You're not going to be best friends with everybody. That's okay. That's not what I'm talking about. You should, be, you should have some close-knit relationships in the body that you're part of. And you guys should be ministering to one another when you're going through stuff that you have a, a, a group of people that you can call on, hey, will you pray with me about this? And of course, the whole church is that group, but, but you want to have those intimate relationships of people. And finally, contribution. We commit to sowing financially into the building of the kingdom of God with a heart of gratitude and obedience, not by compulsion. We want to invest in what God is doing. That's why these are up here, because I think they're really just simply the, the foundation of what a Christian should commit themselves to. And as we went through these, the various different things, um, to come up with these eight different things, you know, uh, these are the things that the Lord put on our hearts that we want to commit ourselves to, and we're asking you to commit yourself to. We made these little bookmarkers that you can take with you and put them in your Bible. You can remember, hey, I, I'm committed to these things. And uh, we, we need all the reminders we can get, amen? I don't know about you, but man, I'm horrible at times of remembering different things, and I need those reminders. And so that is what all of this is about, and uh, you can take those cards with you. If, you. if you want some more, there's some on the Welcome Center on the way out. You can grab a few of those, take them with you, and just, you know, again, we're, we're, we're not a, we don't believe in, uh, in uh, church covenants, we don't have a formal membership. Why? Because you're called to be part of the church, not this church, but the church. If this is where you fellowship and this is where you call home, you are a member of the body of Christ already, so you're a member of this body. And with that membership, you know, in, in the body of Christ, there's, there's these foundational things that we commit ourselves to, and we want to uh, make sure we do that. And so um, that will do that. Will do it in the way of talking about our vision, our, our mission statement, our core commitments. Did everybody have a great new year? That's really the most important question. 2020 has been closed down. We are in 2021. Can you believe it? Is that crazy? Man, it seems like it's gone so fast. But, um, you know, it's so cool that we closed the book of 1 Timothy at the end of 2020, sort of closing that chapter, and we're moving into a whole new season, I believe, of life and also in a new book of the Bible, which is always exciting. But we always set aside the, 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 the Sunday following us closing a book, we set aside to do uh, what's called Share Sunday. And what we're going to do here is we've got some testimonies of, of some people that are, um, you know, going to be live or on video, and they're going to share their testimonies about what God did through the book of 1 Timothy. If you were with us through the book of 1 Timothy, you know that it was very impactful. I, I know I learned a ton in the book of 1 Timothy, and the Lord really grew me up in some significant ways, I feel. And so I, I, I want to take some time here and allow the body to share with the body about what God is doing in their life. So we're going to start off with a couple videos, and then we'll have some people kind of in it. Um, coming up here as well, doing live uh, testimony as well. So draw your attention to the screen, and we'll get rolling on this. Hey, church family. Uh, Caitlin here. Um, I uh, just wanted to go ahead and 
submit something for Sherry Sunday uh, today. I tell you what, the Lord has really, uh, really shown me a lot um, about about just the Christian life in First Timothy. Man, especially one thing that's really stuck out to me, and and I keep seeing God use this in personal application just about every day. Um, is is that I'm talking about um, how we're to treat each other in our speech. Um, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and and whenever um, whenever we we use our words to, to to build each other up, it's just so much better um, than than tearing than tearing each other down. It's you know the, Paul calls that uh, 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 slanderous, which is demonic, you know, and so um, yeah, that's really the Lord's really been using that a lot. Um, but I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, we sure you miss y'all, and uh, can't wait to see y'all later. <clears throat> Bye-bye. Hey, church family. Uh, Kay- Hello, Calvary Chapel. Good morning. Um, I'm coming to you in my bedroom um, because we all have, well, my husband, my youngest, and I have COVID-19. I've been praying about doing this testimony thing for with the book of Timothy because, wow, it has been an inspiring, transformational, convicting book of the Bible um, that I have never experienced before. Anyhow, I've been praying about doing this, but it's way above my comfort zone. I don't like videotaping myself, um, taking pictures of myself, anything like that. Um, especially when I look like a complete mess because of this COVID-19. Thankfully, we all have mild cases, though, so we're doing pretty good. Anyhow, um, the one thing that stood out to me the most on First Timothy was the love of money. That was so convicting to me. I cried the whole entire service. Um, I was just a wreck. Um, my nine-year-old kept on asking me, Mommy, why are your eyes all watery? And... You know, after the after I was done with the service or whatever, I talked to her about it. But anyhow, I'm going to be reading from a piece of paper that I pre-wrote because I am not good at looking at myself in the camera. Anyhow, um, Ken and I, long story short, for the last two years, have had so many trials um, financially, ups and downs, mainly downs. Um, we feel like we're climbing a mountain that is never going to end. Um, and that's just being blunt and honest with y'all. Um, during First Timothy, I, I learned my love for money has been some of the problem that we've been experiencing. And I truly believe that it's God's way of pruning us and making us realize that everything we own here on earth is just materialistic and that we need to look forward to the day that he comes and takes us home with him. That's what we need to be working towards, not worrying about what your kid may want from day to day. Anyways, Ken and I and the kids moved from the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Ken himself, I didn't have to work, made $72,000 a year. Um, we were financially set. Our kids got anything and everything they wanted. We walked into the stores and bought whatever we wanted on those shelves and took it home with no no mind to it, not thinking nothing about it. Um, we had year, every single theme park year passes 
We, I mean, when we lived in Florida, we even had Disney passes for a year, which were very expensive um, to all the parks. Anyways, so we had year of park passes, theme park passes every year. We had zoo passes for a year. We had aquarium passes for a year. The list goes on and on. Um, one Christmas, we decided, man, we really aren't celebrating, even though we teach our kids what the true Christmas is about. Um, we really didn't live it because my kids got literally anything that they asked for, they got under the tree. It didn't matter what it cost. It was under the tree. And that's how they have been raised. Mackenzie, 17. Kenny, 16. Mariah, 9. Anyhow, this certain year, two years ago, in November, I talked to the kids about instead of doing Christmas gifts, to do a family vacation. And even though my kids have gotten always gotten what they want they love any time we can spend time together as a family so they were all for us you know doing this family vacation instead of gifts um and so anyways we talked about going to the Poconos having a family vacation there so I right away got on you know got everything booked so forth so on it cost three about right around three thousand dollars maybe thirty five hundred um, and we had it all set up, so forth, so on, and they were excited, we were excited, so, but then I was feeling guilty, I was feeling guilty because my children weren't going to have many gifts under the tree, so instead of doing what I said, that we were going to go on this Christmas, or on this family vacation, instead, I spent like $1,500 on Christmas that year. They didn't get everything they wanted, but they got a lot of what they wanted. And it made me feel good that I did that. But now I know that it was totally unnecessary. So I went, spent $1,500 um, roughly on Christmas gifts. And as soon as I did it, I was feeling convicted. So I'm like, man, I just may have only spent 15000 on Christmas instead of the 3000 at least that we usually spend each year. But I didn't consider that 3000 I already spent on that family vacation that we were taking. So, in total, it was right around 4500 that we spent on Christmas just for my family that year. I was feeling guilty, um, knowing that there was many families out there that couldn't afford nothing for Christmas. So I prayed about it, and I was led to two families. We sponsored those families their Christmas 100% that year. I spent 700 on the one family. And a thousand on the other. I am not telling you guys this to be like, oh, wow, how, how generous are you? So forth, so on. It was my own guilt. That's the reason why I did it. Um, and granted, I feel like I was led to do it. But it, it was done because I was guilty about spending $4,500 that was unnecessary on my family. So we went and got the those two families their Christmas gifts, you know, went on Amazon, ordered everything, had it shipped to their houses. One was in Wisconsin, one was in Florida. Um, to be, two days before leaving on vacation, Ken's tractor blew up. That's the way Ken makes his $72,000 a year. We scrambled. We're getting low on funds. We're burning through all of our savings. Because of spending the kind of money that I just spent. Plus, you know, our rent was $1,425 a month. And our, you know, electricity was like $300, $350 a month. Our water was $175 a month. It was very expensive to live there. Groceries were out of the 
like I couldn't even tell you how much I spent a week on groceries just because it's an island right it's the Outer Banks it's tourist town so it was very expensive to live there but we made enough money right to be able to do it all so anyways two days before we left for our vacation Ken's tractor blows up his way he makes seventy two thousand dollars we hurried and got on, started searching for another tractor, found one in Florida, very cheap, like 3500 Went to Florida, bought it, got back home. The next morning, left for the Poconos. Had an awesome time in the Poconos, made a lot of memories. There was no Wi-Fi, no internet, no cable, so it was perfect. It was perfect family vacation. From that point on, though, Ken and I have struggled so bad. And always say money is the evil. But like I said, in reality, money is only paper. We're the ones who make money evil. Ken went from making $72,000 a year, even though we bought that new tractor. You know, we were called here to Tennessee to help with his grandma. And we thought, well, that's good because it's so much cheaper living. We're in a house right now, $450 a month. We were paying $1425 a month just for rent. I'm like, oh man, we're going to be really banking in the bucks, being able to go do anything and everything with my family or with my kids. Anything they want, they'll have. We thought, yeah. We do truly still believe we are called here to help with Ken's grandma. However, I think that there was a little bit of um, selfishness in the decision-making process also. Anyways... We moved here. Things have been heck since Ken moved here. He went from making $72,000 a year to us both, me having to get a job, which is fine. I'm totally capable. But our income dropped to 30000 with both of us working. The book of Timothy, mostly chapter 6, has convicted to me, or convicted me so bad, and I have realized my love for money is controlling my life. When we don't have it, I'm so depressed. It's ridiculous. That is where we are more than not. I'm so used to getting whatever I want whenever I want it. Not so much whatever I want whenever I want it, but whenever my kids wanted something, I'm used to buying it for them. They are having to learn that, yeah, you may have to go a couple days before you can get your phone turned back on. Or, no, you really don't need a new pair of shoes, so you it's all right. Mariah, you don't need that $40 toy. You have plenty of toys at home. They aren't used to being able to make those decisions. They're used to me just going to the store within minutes and getting it for them. It didn't matter that we had to travel 72 miles just to the local Walmart to get that toy. We did it. Um, I need prayers with this. It still haunts me daily, but I have learned since the book of 1 Timothy of this materialistic love I have and all the trials Ken and I have battled in the last two years is God trying to prove me, trying to help me see the important things in life and making me more and more like him. I'm not here to say yet that I have had a miraculous change of heart, but I am here to say I have a problem and need many prayers and help to retain, retrain my heart and my desires to be more dependent on my Father and not materialistic things. Thank you all for your time. Prayers are appreciated. Hello, Calvary Chapel.
Wow. Hey, will you guys uh, join me in praying for Tracy real quick? Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for Tracy Pate. We thank you for her boldness and being willing to share the, the things that she shared, Lord, and just how you're working in her life. And we pray right now, Lord, that the step of faith that it took for her to do that would be met by your immeasurable grace, Lord, that you would uh, just give her um, just the, the encouragement and the ability to walk in the freedom that you've, you've given us through your, your son, Jesus. And I just ask you to um, bless her family, and we pray that uh, you would continue to lead her and guide her in uh, the things that she talked about here today, Lord. Um, she asking for prayer, Lord, so we want to lift her up to you. And we ask you to meet her, Lord. We thank you for just her sharing this. And I'm sure we can all relate in some way to, uh, you know, that, just that, that self-sufficiency, uh, living for self sort of mentality. We ask you to um, just break her of those things, Lord, and continue to guide her and keep her. And uh, fill her with your spirit and encourage her, Lord. We know the enemy has no... Uh, no um, ability to dangle things over our head when we expose those things, when we bring the darkness to light. And so we ask you to bless that in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, you want to come up and share with us? Mike Smith, everyone. Is this on? All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, as you know, I'm Mike Smith. Uh, me and my family, we located here to Tennessee back in July. We were originally from Southern California, and our home church there was uh, Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano, under the leadership of Pastor John Randall. And, you know, it was really hard for us to leave that church because the way the church was run was so well, and they taught the Bible verse by verse, just like what is done here in many other Calvary chapels. So, you know, my testimony is two parts. So the first part is, you know, I'm just, after going through a whole study with the church, you know, I'm, you know, any doubts, you know, we had about, you know, moving, you know, moving here to Tennessee because, you know, uh, always finding a home church after moving away from a church that you, you've grown to love is, you know, it can be, you know, hard. And after going through one whole study and just, the, you know, wrapping up the end of Daniel, you know, in my heart, you know, I feel that, you know, God has led us to the right place. And it's truly his word that brought us here and not just, you know, us picking, you know, a church and, you know, going with it. So, you know, I want to thank, you know, Pastor Tim and Pastor Mike and Pastor Brian for, you know, the way, you know, this church, you know, they listen to God and run this church. And I'm, you know, proud and happy to, you know, have my family come here and, you know, listen to the preaching and learn more about God. So that's the first part. And the second part, you know, going back into Timothy is, you know, moving here to Tennessee, you know, you know, my heart was like, once we get a new church, you know, I, I really need to get up and serve, you know, I really need to, you know, serve the church. And 
I was really gung-ho, you know. And then we start getting into, you know, learning about how a deacon should be, you know, serve and, you know, everything. And a particular verse in actually the book of Matthew, which Matthew 6, 1, which says, watch out, don't let your good deeds, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. And that kind of just like gave me a little slap on the back of the head is made me think, you know, is my eagerness to serve really truly for what it's meant to be? Did I really want to be there to do it to serve the Lord or did I, did I want to do it to make me look good, you know, make me look good in front of, you know, brand new church? And it gave me time to kind of just step back and, you know, think just like what, what was my intentions really? And looking back, I really, my, I was making my heart want to be there to serve the church. But in reality, I just wanted to, you know, look good in front of brand new church. And I'm sorry for Pastor Tim because it's like he's always looking for help. But you know, it, there's also things in that passage that made me need to go back and look at my own walk with the Lord you know there's things that I need to fix before I can you know serve this church in the fashion that you know is dictated in the the Bible you know I don't want to be you know the the rotten fruit that gets uh, picked off the grapevine like it said in John 15 1 through 8 you know I want to be the good fruit that's on the the, the grapevine so um yeah, that's uh, my little mini testimony, you know, coming out of this book. And in general, it's just a testimony for me to be up here talking in front of you because I'm a very quiet person and not the least bit wanting to get be on stage in front of a bunch of people. So thank you. Hey, um, so... It's really hard to put on, in words, honestly, all the different things that I learned from the book of Timothy. Um, to be honest with you, the book of Timothy, First Timothy especially, is just so packed full of so many things that I learned. Um, I honestly always grew up thinking that that entire book um, was really not applicable to me because... Well, I mean, I wasn't a pastor, and I definitely and I wasn't serving in ministry growing up, and so I never really took it seriously. Um, but these past several weeks, a um, couple of months that Pastor Tim's been preaching through it, um, honestly, I've I've learned something new and something different every single Sunday, and it has been really encouraging to me to learn so much from a book that I never really paid attention to before. But one of the things that Pastor Tim has mentioned a lot of in um, in the book of Timothy um, and that keeps coming out, especially throughout all of Paul's writings, is the matter of faith. And um, God has really just been working on me for this entire year just on, on faith and, and how powerful faith is. Um, 
it says, you know, without faith it is impossible to please him. And, um, you know, I, I just find it so amazing how even through some of the most uh, trying of time, trying of times this year, um, just choosing to have faith in God has made the whole situation better. And um, a couple of Sundays ago, specifically, I was really struggling with something, um, just struggling with giving it to God, allowing God to have um, the preeminence in that situation. And, and, and I was trying to figure it all out myself. And then Pastor Tim said, having faith is not saying, I trust you, God, and then trying to figure out all the details yourself. That's not faith. That's, that's control. And, and it was just such a challenge to me. Um, and honestly, uh, God has just kept reminding me of that, reminding me of, like, uh, like my husband said, just how you're treating people. Um, you know, the, the kind of spirituality that God expects from, from us as Christians, as, as, you know, disciples, each one of us, each one of us has the power to disciple another person um, with our walk and, um, and we're all leading somebody. And so it, it's just been amazing how much my Christian life has, has grown just, just in that. So, um, that is, I'm, I'm excited about what second Timothy holds. Um, especially since, uh, there was so much in first Timothy that I just never thought to apply to myself. So, um, I'm excited. Hey. Yeah. So I don't know if you caught this, but the, the, the guy, the first video that we saw was, his name's Kaylin. That, that is Brianna, who the, the video we just watched, that is um, their husband and wife there. So, um, and they're actually, uh, um, I believe in Texas right now, um, visiting his grandmother who's sick and they don't expect to make it much longer. And so we want to pray for them real quick. Mike, also, thank you so much for sharing um, it's, it's really bold to come up here and, and really lay yourself out there. But, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of things God does when we do these, uh, when we lay ourselves out like that, man. And um, not only are we encouraging other people, because there's many other people probably that feel the same way, but, but also we're taking away power from the enemy when we bring things from, that are in the darkness into light. And we're saying, Lord, we want you to work in these areas in our life. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for Kaylin and Brianna, Lord. We thank you for bringing them here uh, to this church, and we thank you for what you're doing in their lives, Lord. Uh, we thank you for the book of 1 Timothy and how you minister to them in that book, Lord. And we ask you to be with them as they're there with their family and with their uh, Kaylin's grandma, Lord. I pray that you give them just uh, a great time together, and I pray that you give them words to minister to their grandma, Lord. I pray that you uh, give them the ability to speak life and and to her and to those, all those around, Lord, and that uh, they, they were sent there on a mission trip, Lord. So I pray that you bless that and that you just fill them with your spirit and just be with them. I also thank you so much for Mike coming up today, Lord, and just sharing what you're doing in his life. And we pray just that you lead him and direct him in these things, Lord, and that, uh, that you help him to see where it is that he fits within uh, the, the puzzle work of your church and what you're calling him to do, Lord. And we thank you for uh, just the willingness to be transparent, and uh, we ask you to bless that, Father, and we pray you just continue to direct he and his wife and their kids here in this body, and we're so thankful that they're here, 
and uh, they, they did leave an incredible church, Lord, and then to be here is what, a, what an honor for them to be here with us, Lord. So we pray you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Pat, you want to come share with us, brother? little button that says on. <laughs> Hi, you guys. My name is Pat Barrow, and I'm from <coughs> California. Um, we arrived in uh, Tennessee December 11th, and uh, we uh, have been in Colombia for several weeks now, uh, friends of ours that are so gracious to allow us to stay in their home. Uh, a vacant house of theirs until we transition into uh, our own home. But, um, yeah, speaking of cool churches, you know, I, it was a really refreshing to, to come in here and not see any colored gel lights and no uh, smoke uh, machines and no laser and... Uh, I know you guys can afford it, but, you know, the people that don't have it where we came from is because they couldn't afford it. And anybody, everybody's trying to outdo everybody with the sparkle, and it's just refreshing to have a simple uh, place. And uh, that, uh, that worship is, uh, is a good thing because there's not a lot of distractions and, uh, you know, the word, God, word of God is being preached, and we, we appreciate that. Uh, speaking of word of God, uh, what spoke to me, uh, because we've only been here for a handful of times, about four times, uh, is the last chapter of Timothy. Uh, and uh, the message that I got, which is always a great reminder is that uh, to those who are rich, uh, not to put their trust uh, in, the, in those riches. Because number one, it is deceitful. It gives us a false sense of security. Uh, therefore, people can feel a le less dependent on God, and if not completely independent of God, to the point that uh, there's arrogance. And so... Number two, it is uncertain. The riches of this world is uncertain. Uh, it can be here today, but gone tomorrow. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, during the crash of the stock market, people were jumping out of buildings without a parachute. And, uh, you know, that's how deceitful it is because when they put their trust in riches and when that, and all the funds are gone, uh, they have nothing to live for, and that's the worth of their being is, is the amount of money that they have. Uh, deceitful because, um, you know, this year I lost a good friend of mine uh, through um, hopelessness, and uh, it's a shocking news. Uh, I've worked with this person for over 30 years and probably spent more hours in the day with him, more waking hours with him and a bunch of other guys at work 
more than I spend with my own wife because, you know, I'm there eight hours a day. But anyways, um, speaking with his wife afterwards, he, she said that uh, uh, Fernando was getting agitated because he lost uh, his ability to work. He had carpal tunnel syndrome, uh, surgery, therefore, he had two jobs, two full-time jobs. And so he was just going and going. And so when he lost his ability to work, uh, he began to worry about his finances, uh, their health insurance, uh, all this and all that. And so uh, deceitful because knowing him as much as I do, I know that he's got, because he's got that second job and I just have a, you know, a regular job, that I know that his savings are 10 times more than I have. And, you know, uh, but he was worried to where his, his wife said that he would be pacing back and forth in the living room and uh, worried, uh, couldn't sleep, to the point that he, uh, he felt like he had to end it. So, yeah, riches are deceitful, and uh, lack of riches is also deceitful. But instead that we should put our trust in God, uh, we know that God is, uh, I like this, uh, God is a better financial planner than, well, I named somebody, Fidelity and Vanguard. I was going to say Dave Ramsey, but, you know, he's on our side. <laughs> God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that. Uh, there's no guilt in enjoying God's blessings. You know, God blesses us with these things. Uh, hopefully, we use it to bless other people as well. And uh, actually, uh, in the word says that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, the, you know, the moment that we give, we actually receive the blessing immediately. There is no gap. The moment we give as a blessing, we already receive the blessing. And I'm sure a bunch of you know how that feels. And you know, we've heard the question, what is the meaning of life? Verse 18 and 19, I think, tells us. Do good, share what you have, and be generous. That's how we lay up treasures in heaven. And it says, I quote, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I didn't know I'd find that answer to that question in that verse, but, but I did. And all along it's there. Just found it. Uh, so thank you guys for uh, listening. And uh, thank you, Pastor Tim, for uh, Timothy. My name is Wayne. I'm from Bakersfield, California. I'm a new member here. Uh, me and my wife and kids moved here a couple months ago. Uh, sorry I haven't been there here in the last few weeks, but um, I got a job at FedEx, and due to the Christmas and the demand for presents, uh, I haven't been able to get a Sunday off lately. But I just wanted to, you know, uh, God was tugging at my heart when it came to the, the book of Timothy.
you know, um, man, uh, the book of Timothy changed my life and it changed multiple people's lives around me once I started implementing the book of Timothy in my life. Um, when, uh, when the pastor Tim spoke on it, it just, I was like a little kid. I felt like it was just, like it was my language. You know, I'm just going to share a couple uh, testimonies of things that have happened in my life the second that I put, turned my workplace into my, my ministry. So um, <clears throat> I'm going to go back a few years to give you guys just a little quick tidbit about me. Uh, about four and a half years ago, I entered a, a Christian life school. Spent 14 months there. I was uh, Before that, I was really caught up in the world. I had multiple idols, served many gods. Uh, I lost my identity. And so I, uh, God was calling and tugging at me, and I spent 14 months in an in-house Christian life school, really extreme. And while I was there, I learned my callings. I learned my, 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 what my gifts were, and I learned um, what my purpose was in life. And I made a pact with God to fulfill that, to be those, his light and his, 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 uh, his vessel and his billboard, and just to serve him in every part of my life, to not to be a part-time Christian no more, but to be a full-time Christian in everything I do. And so when I read the, the book of Timothy for the first time, in uh, the Christian life school, it really spoke to me. It really convicted me because I realized what I was doing wrong, you know. And as my new calling as a new Christian in Christ, I, I knew that I couldn't be a part-time Christian no more. And that if I wanted people to receive this new transformation through me and receive God through me, that I had to be a, a full-time Christian, you know. So I remember the day I sat there and I remember made I made a pact with God. I made a, a promise to him. I, <laughs> I remember telling him, I said that... Uh, I will never let man ever, ever offend me. I'll never, ever seek man's approval over his and that I will live a life above approach and everything I do that people can never, ever guess and never, ever rebuke Jesus through my actions and that they would see Jesus doing everything I do. You know, and I really focus on that, you know. And so and so when, the, when, the, when I read the book of Timothy, it really spoke to me with everything I was doing wrong. You know, I used to go to church, but then I used to be of the world and I used to, to work at the church then I used to go out and drink, you know, and I used to, and people wasn't receiving it. And then I would cuss and I would fight and I would do this and that. And people didn't understand. Like, how can really people can really see Christ through me when I, when I was living both ways, you know? And so I made a pact that day to really focus on just no matter what, nobody will ever, ever bring, will ever, ever let me uh, not um, ever question him through me and who I am now. And so I want to share a couple of examples. I want to share the way I live my life through to the workplace uh, for um, about three years ago, I got an opportunity to be a, a uh, superintendent for a development company, you know, and it wasn't really my calling in life. I thought my calling was to be in ministry and, to, and recovery, but I took this, this leap of faith and I knew God had plans for me. And it wasn't until like the second day I was on the job that I realized why I was there because we need people in the battlefields, you know, we need people, you know, outside of church, you know, yeah, you know, full-time ministry isn't just in the church, isn't just the pastors, isn't just the deacons, full-time ministry is, is, is us too, full-time ministry is in the battlefields, you know, in the job sites, at the office, you know, at your workplace, you know, after a delivery driver, if you're at the grocery store, that's where our ministry starts, you know, and so when I was at this job, you know, and I, and, I, and these people, I started to see, I wear these Jesus bracelets, this is one of my little ministries, you know, and, and I use this opportunity to be bold in my religion, to see people see Christ on me, but not only that, but to get the bracelets out. So while I was at my job sites, my job site, you know, uh, it's, just put it this way, in a year and a half, two years, I was able to give out probably 200 Jesus bracelets. I was able to bring multiple peoples to Christ. I helped multiple people get, not me, 
Jesus through me. Let me back up a little bit. It isn't me. It's all him. I'm just a vessel. He does the work. He just uses me. But he used me, and 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 he has, I brought people to Christ. I prayed for, oh, I can't even tell how many people on my job site. Like my job site became a place of worship for multiple people. They would come to my site to say because they wanted to be around what I represented, you know. And so I knew that was my calling. I knew that's where God put me for a reason to, to represent him, you know. But I want to share one example with you. And listen, I'm not sharing this stuff with you to uh, to impress you. I'm not even sharing it with you to, I'm not sharing it to brag. I'm sharing to impress upon you how God can use us in the workplace. You know, how God, we're vessels of his and we're his light. You know, we're all in God's peril. We all work for him. We all have a job to do. God is love and love is God, you know. And I believe that by loving on others, by, by telling people, God bless you. Jesus loves you. Random acts of kindness. Giving out Jesus bracelets. You know, we're doing our job, you know, and I rep and I believe in whole heart that is our, our ultimate our job in life and, and our and our purpose as Christians, you know. And so I'm gonna share a story with you. You know, one day uh, a guy came into my office. He's about six foot four. He's a big, big intimidating man. His name was Mike Rexroth. Me and Mike go way back. Back in the days when we partied and back in the days that we served of the world. Right, so Mike heard about my transformation. It was pretty radical, and he heard about it. But he, see, Mike always called Christians, Christianity, a cult, you know. And uh, he didn't have, he wanted nothing to do with it. So he comes to my office with his dad. He's sixty-five years old, and and I, I we talk, and I give him a little up, update of where I'm at today. And I had Jesus bracelet sitting on my, on my shelves, and my Bible was sitting there, and he wasn't really receiving it. No big deal. I was, I don't push it on nobody, you know. And so, um, so something happened. My boss called at the time, and there was we had a disagreement on something. He didn't believe in miscommunication. I had him on speakerphone. Well, my boss started cussing at me. He started screaming and cussing at me, at me, disrespecting me, and and just doing everything that you don't do. Well, it was on speakerphone where Mike and his dad was able to witness this this situation. Well, my response was godly. You know, my response was upbringing. My response was nothing short of above approach, you know, well, on the, when the phone call was over and his, I looked over and Mike and his dad were staring at me with this weird disbelief and they just could not believe why, why didn't you get mad? Why didn't you get upset? Why didn't you cuss back at him? Why didn't you get offended? Why didn't you leave his job saying, go to his house and kick his butt? I said, because I don't work for man, I work for God. I told him, I said, because I don't live a life for him. I make a cup of God as my boss. And long as I, as long as I, work for him and I'm at his standards, man, doesn't matter to me. Well, Mike pulled me aside like 10 minutes later and started telling me his struggles. He told me his addiction with, with, with cocaine and alcohol and pills and his family. And, you know, and he said it wasn't for that seeing Christ through me. See, I believe that sometimes the only, the only Jesus people are going to see is through our actions. You know, I believe that people don't need to see a preacher sermon. They need to see us live a sermon by, by the way we live and the way we love. Not by what we talk, but what we love, you know. And he's seen that that day, you know. And, and so he pulled me aside and he, I prayed for him, you know. And this is the guy who calls Christianity a cult. Pretty powerful, right? So that next day I had this other little ministry that I do. It's, it's a devotional ministry. I started sending it to him every day. Boom, boom, boom. And like two months later I get this crazy call. I got all these calls. My phone's blowing up and I'm like, what's Mike want, you know. And he was real excited, and he told me, he called me, I answered my phone, he's like, Wayne, I'm going to tell you what happened, you know, he's like, that day on that job site changed my life forever, you know, and uh, he said, I, I just left that day going, something, that was weird, that's weird, I don't understand, that ain't the Wayne that I knew, you know, why, why didn't he get mad, you know, and he said it planted a seed in him, you know, and it, it kept growing, you know, and then I started sending these devotions to him, he said he kept reading them and feeling convicted, well, that, that brought him to a point in his life where he turned, you know, that he, uh, got on his knees in a fetal position and cried out to the Lord one day and, and he changed his life forever. You know, and, and that day, now Mike, 
<laughs> my shit evangelist for God now. He's an ambassador for Christ. Back home where I'm from, he speaks at events now, and he and he speaks in front of groups and Bible studies, and and he walks in a life with with boldness in Christ now. And he said it started that day, that day on the job site, that day at my work, you know. And so I just want to tell you, just and I hope this inspires you to let you know that that. Our job isn't for man. Our job's for the Lord, you know, and that you have opportunities in that everywhere you go, you know, at the workplace to let people see Jesus through you, you know. And I'm going to share another little quick story with you because I know my time's probably running out and I can talk forever. But I, my wife said only like two minutes left. But so I work for FedEx. And I took this job because I thought to myself, how many times every day can I tell people, God bless you, Jesus loves you, and just be the light, you know. And so, so I've been there for a few weeks now, and I've been able to pass out multiple Jesus bracelets. And there was an opportunity I want to share with you. Just recently, there was a lady who uh, I give her a package, and I tell her, God bless you. And she said, I really needed to hear that. You know, and I get back in my truck, and I hear God, Holy Spirit, tell me, Wayne, give her a bracelet. Give her a bracelet. So I go back, and I'm like, ma'am, would you like a Jesus bracelet? You know, and she's like, she starts crying. She starts bawling, right? And she says, oh my God, I needed to hear this. You know, she's like, you don't know how bad I needed this. And she's like, I never cry. I never cry. You know, and I'm like, it's okay. God brought me to you today. It wasn't even my route that day. That God put me on that route just to speak to her, you know. And and I hugged her and I prayed for her. And I told her, don't worry. God brought me to you. Just seek him and it's going to be okay. And she took off and she's bawling and she's shaking her head. And she's looking at that bracelet, you know. So I hope this story inspires you, you know. That I hope you start looking for opportunities at work to be the light, you know. And I... I have a question for you, you know, like, um, when people see you at work, what do they see? Do they see Christ through you, or do they see the world? You know, do people come to you for help? Or, be, or people come to you, go, are they, they stray away from you because of, of negativity? That's my question for you today, you know, like, you know, like I said, I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to ins just inspire you, maybe encourage you, to excite you to look at work differently. You know, because there's so much opportunity for us out there to do his work. And uh, I have one little quick thing. Listen, I have this Jesus bracelet ministry. And I'd love to share it with you guys at the, at the church. You know, what it represents, and not only are you a bold statement, I mean, there's no fashion statement bolder than this. That people see it on you and they're like, oh my, you know, not only are you giving God praise and worship and acknowledging him, but at the same time, you can look at this when you wear this bracelet and remind you of what you represent and what you stand for. But the third thing what it does is it gives you opportunity to open conversations for people to see it and talk about God. And so you can, you know, talk about him. But the fourth thing, what it does, you can take it off and you give it to people. So I encourage you, please, if you see me at church, ask me for some bracelets. I would love to give you a handful of them. I got bags of them in my car, in my backpack, at my house. I put some down on the, on the information center. But I would love, love to give you some bracelets. And I just pray that this somehow just inspires you, encourages you, and just... Uh, let you look at your job in a different way. I love you, church, and I thank you, and God bless you. Amen. Good morning, family. It's really hard to follow that up. <laughs> um, ever since I walked in the doors of this place, I have felt the Holy Spirit move. And it just encourages me that we're able to get up here and share with each other how the Holy Spirit is moving. And everybody, you know, there's always something that I can relate to. And I really appreciate that because it helps me to keep growing. 
Um, in chapter 1, we started out, Timothy, with God's unlimited grace and patience poured out abundantly to Paul. That's what he said. And I can relate to that so well. Um, he tells Timothy that, you know, I was acting in ignorance and I was shown mercy. Um, and so I think Paul is, you know, he's telling Timothy, God wrote prophecies about you, you know, so you can fight the good fight. And I think he, he's sharing his testimony with Timothy to encourage him and to lift him up before he gives him all these lessons that he's about to teach us, um, just like we're doing today with each other. So what stood out for me here was the ignorance piece, right? So he says, I was acting in ignorance, but I was shown mercy. Um, the opposite of that ignorance is knowledge. So to fight this good fight, we have to be open to learning. And I think Paul was trying to tell Timothy this, you know, so that he would, he would be open to learning, you know, all of these lessons. So it really touched me in a way that I felt that I needed to be more open to listening and learning and really getting something out of this book. And so I prayed and I said, thank you, God, for your unlimited grace and patience poured out abundantly for me like that brings me to tears just to even think wow that is so powerful and I just prayed you know thank you for the plan you have for my life and help me to learn so that you know I can stay far away from the ignorance of my sin and every single lesson in the book of Timothy after that I learned something like, it was so freaky and so spot on in my life every single week that I would go to Tim and I'd be like, dude, are you following me? Like, do you know? Is my husband telling you stuff about me? And I would go to lunch after church with my friends and I'd be like, man, you're not going to believe this. Exactly what he preached was happening in, in my life that week. So, I mean, it was so weird, but it was no coincidence, right? No coincidence at all that the week I started physical training, he used that analogy to compare to my spiritual training. Um, conviction of connecting with others, same week that we were seeing church's family. Um, it was no coincidence that the week I was struggling with helping an unbelieving widow, that lesson was geared towards that subject. Um, or the week that I learned of uh, false teachers, I was actually confronted with one myself. Um, and the week we learned to be satisfied, oh my gosh, that was Christmas. I didn't have money because of COVID, and I had to learn to be satisfied. Or to flee from evil, um, let's just say I learned a whole, whole lot. Like everybody else here, I learned so many lessons from this book. And so it was really hard for me to pick just one thing to talk about. And I started to not share my testimony today. Because I was like, well, there was this, and there was this, and there was this, and there was this. Which one do I talk about? I don't know which one to pick. Um, but then God kind of convicted me, and he told me um, that is the testimony, like the learning aspect of it. Um, if you want to learn, you pray to receive, you know, and you come with an open heart, and God will teach you. And he did me. I prayed that prayer thank you, God, teach me, show me, help me to listen. And week after week after week, it was just for me. And 
I feel like that's my testimony, that every single lesson that I got from the book of Timothy was because I came in with an open heart and wanted God to speak to me. And I think he'll speak directly to every single one of you, you know, if you want it. Thank you so much, man. That's powerful stuff. Well, we're uh, super loud and we're running out of time. So uh, worship team, will you come up real quick? And uh, listen, we're going to celebrate communion here. And I wanted to speak a little bit about communion. But um, the reality of, of what the reason we celebrate the Lord's Supper is, is found really ultimately in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, Paul said in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way... Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What I want to share with you this morning real quick is just the idea of why we're celebrating communion. Why do we do it? It's only one of two rites that we have in really the new covenant, ultimately. We have baptism, which is sort of this one-time event. Other people get rebaptized. That's okay. I'm not saying it can't. But the purpose of it is to say, hey, I belong to Jesus, right? And then we have this, this thing called communion that is, is to remind us, uh, number one, of what Jesus has done for us. But we're also proclaiming at the same time his death. And in his death, what we find is our life. In his death, we find newness of life. We, we go from being dead to be made alive. And, and as we partake of the, the, the bread, we're reminded of the sinless body of Christ. That he lived a perfect life for you and I. And, and so it's no longer about how perfectly we're trying to live our lives because we all sin and, and we all fall short of the glory of God but we're reminded of the perfection of Jesus in the body as we take the bread and we remind ourselves, thank you, Jesus, that you are perfect and that you love me even at my worst. So I partake of that bread in that manner, remembering his perfect life for me. I partake of the cup, the cup being the the, the blood that was shed on Calvary for us. And it's it's the element of Forgiveness. It's the way that we're forgiven. The blood must be shed for forgiveness to be given. It's the whole point of the old covenant under the sacrificial system was that blood would be shed, that your sins, you'd be reminded that your sins are free, you're covered by that blood. And let me tell you something, when you went into the temple and you sacrificed, because you were there when, the, when they slit the throat of that goat and they, you watched that blood pour out of him, you were reminded in that moment what it cost you to be forgiven. That is the point. When we, when we take that cup, we're drinking, saying, Jesus, you gave it all for me. You shed your blood for me. And, and, and so we're being reminded of the sacrifice of Christ, that it is sufficient, that we have newness of life because of his blood, that we are not just covered as in the old covenant, but we are washed clean completely. Your sins are gone before the Lord, completely and totally white. And, and, and so I, I just want to say to you today that... Um, 
that we're, being, we're doing this in remembrance of Christ. And this is as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me, Jesus said. We're proclaiming today. We're making a proclamation before everybody here and also before the Lord that we believe in his son, that his son is what, what, what we put our faith in. We're not putting our faith in ourselves. And of course, there is a walk that comes alongside of that then when we ultimately put our faith in him. But, but I, this is for believers, and it's for people who are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you come to Christ right now. You ask Jesus to come into your heart. You say, Lord, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be washed like this person's talking about. You can do that. Even right now, you just confess your sin before the Lord like we talked about earlier. You can't be reconciled to a holy God if you don't confess your sin. If you don't come before him and acknowledge, hey, I'm a sinner, Lord. I need to be washed by the blood of Christ. You confess that sin to him. You turn to Jesus and you say, Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, that he rose again from the dead for me. Believing in the cross and then believing in the resurrection, uh, the Bible says that anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and believes that God raised him from the dead will be saved. You just simply come before the Lord and you say, God, here I am. You know me. Here's my sins. I'm not perfect. I need to be forgiven. I believe in your son, Jesus. And you, you just do that in your own words. I did this in the middle of, my middle of the night in my bedroom. I came to Christ. My life radically changed. So you can do it right now in the quietness of your own heart. But what we're going to do is we're going to, the, the worship team is going to play a song. You guys can, when you, when you feel led, you can get up, come, come grab your communion, take it back to your seat, partake of it your, uh, you know, with your family or by yourself. There'll be some people up here as well if you want to partake of communion uh, with somebody up here. One of our elders will lead you through that. Um, but, but we're just taking a time to remember what Jesus has done for us personally. And uh, so there is a, also a, a gluten-free one up here in the gold if you, if you need to do that for some reason. If not, uh, there, then you can take the other ones. But uh, let's just take a time here in the, these last few minutes remembering the Lord and what he's done for us. And, and uh, thank you guys so much for the testimonies. How impactful was that? And um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for this time together today. And even though, Father, we're, we're short on time, let this time be impactful these last moments as we remember the sacrifice. The whole reason why we gather today, Lord, is because of Jesus. Because he lived a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death, and he rose in victorious fashion for us. So we ask you now, Lord, to move in our hearts. Lord, cleanse us, forgive us. Lord, wash us today. Help us to partake in a manner worthy, Lord. Not flippantly, but in sincerity this morning, remembering, making the proclamation that in his death I have been given life. So I'm joyful to you, Lord. I celebrate your son. I celebrate all that you've done through him for me. For all of us here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.